Hi, I'm Jake, and this is the 15-second summary of the movie I'm talking about today, Remember the Titans. It's 1971, and T.C. Williams hires a new head football coach. This team of black kids and white kids struggles to get along until they go through a brutal training camp at the hands of their new head coach, Boone. The team fights the issues of the outside world, winning a state football championship and learning what it means to be a good human being. It occurred in August of 1963 on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. In one of the most memorable speeches in modern history, Martin Luther King Jr. finished reading from his prepared text, and then he just launched into this unprepared speech that came from the passions that were stirring in his soul. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves, the sons of former slave owners, will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. He went on to say, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Some of y'all have memorized that. People back then in the 60s watched Walter Cronkite on the CBS Evening News every night, and he would narrate footage of yet another march, another protest, demonstration, or sit-in. The social activism of that era was supercharged with idealistic energy, the likes of which had never been seen before. People of color had endured billy club beatings. They had hoses, dogs turned on them because they dared to believe that they should be able to drink from the same water fountains, eat at the same restaurant counters, attend the same schools as white Americans. You younger people watching today probably cannot imagine such a time. I can, because although I was still in primary school, I lived through it, I remember it. My dad happened to be the pastor of an inner city black church. He was led to plant that church, believe it or not, in the 1960s, way up in Buffalo, New York, in the middle of those race riots. My sister and I were the only white kids in the whole church. I know that because we saw some old pictures of VBS back then. We were easy to spot. One of the benefits of this experience was that I grew up not thinking there was any difference in people until I moved back to the South. And that's where our movie Remember the Titans picks up. It's the true story of T.C. Williams High School in Virginia in the early 70s. It revolves around a high school football field in a small town just like this. Two schools came together because of integration. And the movie tells the story from the perspective of a football team. Two groups of players, one white, one black, competing and cooperating with two coaches who must also join together and put their differences aside. The team dynamics embodied the deep-seated racial tension of that day. And the movie follows the newly appointed African-American head coach, Boone, played by Denzel Washington. Could I just say this? Denzel is the man. And he got this role, this coach, and his job was to integrate this team, to teach them to respect each other, to get along, to play together as an interracial team. And because of their unity and a winning program, 
It also reunited a town that desperately needed reconciliation too. Remember the Titan is not just a story about high school football. It's a story about real life and how we all have to overcome our differences with one another to achieve all that we want and desire in our world. The movie shows that love really can prevail over evil. David, some of you watching, I'm so glad that those days of the 60s and racism are over. Mm, depends on who you ask. There is still a lot of racial unrest. Have you noticed? I mean, just look at the news this week. I counted three, four, five stories from Minneapolis to New York. The country recently learned of the death of Ahmed Arbery, who was killed after a struggle while out jogging. And depending on who you talk to, probably, whether they are black or white, you'll find out quickly that we have a long way to go with racial reconciliation. It's not much different than the 60s in some profound ways. Many believe that cases like the attack on Ahmad are isolated, or that those are the kind of things that only happen in the South. Wrong. Racism is a problem today in all parts of the world. Whether you're talking about Catholics and Protestants in Ireland, Serbs and Croatians in Eastern Europe, or even Jews and Arabs in Palestine, it is everywhere. But there seems to be a particular demonic stronghold on American soil different than many other places. More about that in just a moment. See, while racism may be illegal in the U.S., it's not invisible. It has a way of leaking out throughout our society in hundreds of subtle ways. They struggled with racism and prejudice in the Bible too, by the way. Samaritans and Jews, Jews and Gentiles, Romans and Greeks. From the Hebrew scriptures over in the Old Testament, we read in the book of Numbers a story that's not talked about very much. We read there about Moses, the guy that gave the Ten Commandments. His first wife, Zipporah, died, and Moses married a woman from Ethiopia who was without a doubt black. Moses' brother Aaron, and particularly his sister Miriam, objected. They sharply criticized Moses for entering into that new union. You'll see racism raising its ugly head multiple times in this good book. In fact, there's a whole book in the New Testament devoted to just a runaway slave. And let me say this from my heart, I've lived here 18 years now, Cincinnati is no stranger to racial issues. I'm not a betting man, a Pete Rose reference seems appropriate here for those of us in Cincinnati. I'm not a betting man, but if I were wagering, I'd put money that you don't know what I'm about to tell you right now about our wonderful city. In the Queen City back in 1924, the minister at the Richmond Street Christian Church right here in town sent a letter to the Cincinnati Reds. He submitted a formal request on his church letterhead for a special day at the ballpark. The minister asked for his group to be recognized before the game and in between innings. The minister represented the Ku Klux Klan. That's right a prominent congregation in our tribe of Christian churches at that time asked what was then the Red Stockings to host a KKK day. Thankfully, the Reds from their office dismissed the request. Eventually, the tension over this KKK issue resulted in that church splitting. That remnant couldn't keep the church solvent and it was forced to close its doors. A few years later, that building was torn down 
and a portion of that plot was claimed as the easement for a brand new expressway which many of you travel. The rest of the church's land now boasts a baseball field, believe it or not, located in what is now one of Cincinnati's African-American neighborhoods. Friend, I have several goals today with this message from Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Let me tell you first of all what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to produce more white guilt because many productive conversations and initiatives have been launched to promote racial healing. So not everybody watching this is guilty. I'm also not trying to stir up more racial tension. Can I just say we got enough of that already? Candidly, there's even some tension in me about what descriptions I would use in this message. Do I say black? Do I say African-American? Do I say people of color? It's a moving target. It depends on the background, the person, the age of the person you ask, because I've been asking. I even called up my buddy, Lamoris Crawford, chaplain for the Cincinnati Bengals. What a great guy. I sought some advice on this message, and he was so helpful for me, both with content and confidence. He said, Brother David, just speak from God's spirit in your heart, not as a white brother or a black brother like me, just a brother in Christ. So this I will do today. What I'm trying to do today is inform and inspire action into a highly charged issue from God's perspective. This is an issue we are called to care about, not because it's a political thing, but because it's a biblical thing. Racism is not a societal problem, it's a spiritual problem. We all know who the accuser and the divider of the brethren is, it's the devil. So the ultimate remedy to this situation is not going to be found with a legal or human power. It is a spiritual issue which requires a change of the heart, which is something only God's spirit, God's people, and God's power can do. I'm all for justice, but it's not about social justice. It's about spiritual transformation. Of all the sermons, and we plan these weeks in advance that I could have done, this was the message this week in our culture that God knew we needed to deliver. It's about prejudice. The word prejudice comes from two words, pre-judge. It is coming to general conclusions ahead of time without sufficient information about everybody else in a group. It's assigning to a whole group of people the negative traits or tendencies of a few. And make no mistake about it, friend, racism is arrogant and it's ignorant. But the main thing it is, sinful. Here's how James put it in the New Testament. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. I don't know if you know this little secret. Jesus was not white. He was a Middle Eastern, a Jew. He was in the minority, yet he died for everyone. Tony Evans, pastor, said it best. Racism isn't a bad habit. It's not a mistake. It's a sin. The answer is not sociology. It's theology. So I'm going to ask that as I speak freely and frankly on this subject, all I know is some hot button issues. I'd ask you to listen prayerfully and openly today because prejudice like pride it's hard for most of us to self-identify because that's something other people have.
But David, I can hear you now. I'm not prejudiced. Yeah. Most white people define racism in terms of extreme actions. The Ku Klux Klan burns a cross on somebody's lawn. Three men in Texas drag a black guy to death while being tied to the back of their pickup truck. Horrific things. To white Americans, that's racism. That's why most white people don't see themselves as racist. And just FYI, racism and prejudice is not just a white people problem. I have personally witnessed prejudice among all creeds and all colors. It's a human race problem. But breaking down the walls that exist between people is inherently the best part of following Jesus. It's what it means to be the church. And if the early church bridged their deep-seated social divides, we can too. Poet Robert Frost said it well in a poem titled The Mending Wall. Listen to it. I'll say it twice. He wrote, something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. Something there is that doesn't love a wall and wants it down. And I know what that something is. It's actually a someone. His name is Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 2, For Jesus himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Tearing down the walls that divide us is what the gospel requires and demands. In a divided culture, Christians should be the help and the hope, not the hate. Well, David, what can I do to live that out today? What can I do to bring those walls down? I'm so glad you asked this Sunday morning. Here's a couple of practical and biblical things that if you will follow these, those walls will come tumbling down. Number one, seek to understand the plight, the burden, and the realities of people who look differently than you. This is what Coach Boone did in the movie. He had one black player and one white player rooming together for training camp. They didn't like it at first, but soon they started seeing others differently through a different lens. Because when you walk in another's shoes, you get a peek into what others experience. I know it's hard for some of you listening to this to understand what it's like to be in the minority. You know why? Because you've always been in the majority. You personally don't live, I don't live in fear of running or driving in the wrong neighborhood because my color of my skin is white. But it's a different world right now. For COVID-19, especially if you're black, I was amazed when I found out a disproportionate amount of friends and family are affected and infected with the virus who are people of color. This is tragically true. So seek to understand the plight, the burden, the realities of people who look differently than you. Number two thing you can do, engage in conversations, just like we're having today. Engage in conversations about racism and injustice. Coach Boone in the movie did that too. He made the football players spend time talking with each other about their family, their history, their taste, their style of music. He knew that the walls of racism, prejudice, injustice can be dismantled one conversation at a time. It might be awkward for you, but the difficult conversations will help us stop using words and making assumptions 
that injure others. Could I just ask you a question? When's the last time you talked to somebody that looked different than you, that thought different than you? I found that problems and conflicts occur because people stop talking and listening to each other. Our culture has lost its civility. We gotta get that back, friend. And the church should be the first to step up. So engage in productive conversations about racism and injustice. Third thing you can do, and this is especially true for parents and grandparents raising children, teach your kids the truth. Do what my dad did, for racism is taught. You're not born with it. It's a learned activity. I love your parents and your grandparents, but if they told you that black people are so inferior to you, they were wrong. People are not born with prejudice. I think that racism exists, not because we're necessarily fed up, but because we don't speak up. And it could be eradicated in one generation if we wanted it to. So decide to be a cycle breaker when it comes to prejudice talking and thinking. Nick Gonzalez is one of my favorite worship leaders here. I know he is for some of you. One older member came to me once right after Nick started and said this, when is that little Mexican boy coming back to lead worship? I like him, she said. I said, first of all, he's not little, he's not a boy, and he's not Mexican. His name is Nick, he's a man, and he's from Texas. Now, I'm sure they didn't mean it like it sounded, and I'm sure in their heart they never thought a thing about it. But let's watch our language and descriptors because it's easy to talk about someone, but when you are on the receiving end of that, those words mean things. Last thing you can do to help bring down these walls of divide, when you have opportunity to act, do so. Now honestly, around our area and location in Cleves at our Cleves campus, the demo numbers don't show us with a high percentage of color. We truly are white water. You just ask somebody who's from a different background and who visits our church today, that's white water. But because we're a regional church, we are reaching way beyond Cleves now. Our platform is much bigger than 45002. So we need to speak up. We need to step up when we see racism at work, regardless of zip code. Oh, Benjamin Franklin said it so well, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Oppression and rebellion usually occur when those in power forget those who are not. So decide to get involved, especially if you're in a position of influence. And if God is stirring you in your spirit to say or do something about these issues today, of prejudice, inequality, human trafficking, the plight of the poor. For heaven's sake, do it. You don't need my permission. You don't have to text me. I want, in fact, I expect every member at Whitewater to be the very first to reach across any kind of racial or injustice divide. Reach your hand first. And friends, social justice, hear me now, social justice is not the end goal. It is investing and inviting people into a relationship with Jesus so that our church down here starts to look like the church up there. Why do you say that? Revelation 7, 9 says it. It tells us what will happen in heaven at the end of time. Listen to this. 
After this I looked, John wrote, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Not just white people. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Friend, at the end, we are all in Him as one. No more creeds. No more color. No more identifiers of anything of earth. Not even male or female. No marriage. Out of every tribe and tongue, He brings them together. And what do we look like? We simply look like Jesus. No black, white, yellow, red, brown. So be all in when it comes to racial reconciliation. Man's solution is forced integration. We saw how that works out. But God's plan is heart and faith reconciliation, where Jesus comes into our hearts and with the power of the Spirit unites us all in one common language and body. Friend, I've been alive 58 years. Education is not going to change the trajectory of racism. Governmental legislation is not. We can pass laws till Jesus comes. Only the saving, transforming love of Christ is going to heal this polarized world. And you got the good news. Our goal has to be unity in the midst of diversity because that's what Jesus, our ultimate head coach, teaches. God has called you and me in this age of cultural chaos to the ministry of reconciliation. Not just racial, but reconciling people back to God, who is the ultimate father of all of us who are his children. Lamoris Crawford nailed it when he told me this week, I am disturbed about tragedies like Ahmaud Arbery. But my greatest concern is not how he died, but where he is going after he died. Where will he spend eternity? Lamore said, I'm for justice, but we will never get it here on earth because this is a fallen world. If Jesus didn't get it and he was perfect, we won't get justice either. Those are some pretty wise and powerful words. The great truth today is that God had the right to judge all of us because of our sin and our junk but he didn't. Instead, he entered our world through Jesus, crossing every line imaginable to extend his love and his grace so we could live in relationship with him. Jesus, when you think about it, is the ultimate barrier breaker. Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Friend, listen to me. The only race that God cares about is the human race. And some of us need to be clothed with a new kind of garb because the garb we have or the garb we inherited from our family of origin is one of hate and prejudice since it is a taught thing. For all of us who were baptized into Christ are one. In fact, you may not know this, but one of the first examples of baptism in all the New Testament was a guy who went all in on a desert road. He was a government official. He was a person of color from Ethiopia. What an example he was. My dad has been in heaven for almost six years now, and he taught me many things. 
And one of the great legacies he left me was that of seeing everyone as made in God's image, believing the best, not the worst, about them. I told you earlier about that Buffalo inner city church plant when I started. Here's what I didn't tell you. It's the rest of the story. I was speaking a couple years ago at a banquet, which I often do. And after it was over, an older retired minister called me over to his table. He told me a story about my dad that I had never heard. And to be honest, it rocked my world. He said that he was a preacher at a church in Kentucky back in the 1960s when my dad was traveling to different Christian churches to ask for financial support for this new church plant in Buffalo, New York. He said my dad came to the church he pastored and they arranged a meeting with the missions committee and the elders where my dad could ask for funds. The retired minister said that he was in the meeting with my dad when this issue was deliberated and decided. And after some discussion, the missions chairman spoke to my dad, honest truth. This guy told me, the missions chairman spoke to my dad and said, Reverend Vaughn, we don't believe the soul abides in a black man. But just in case we're wrong, we're gonna support your work. That's sick, isn't it? Now this is not a southern state like Mississippi or Alabama. This is across the river in Kentucky, friend. So now maybe you know why this subject and value matters more to me than you may think. When I heard him tell me that about the church, it made me sick. My dad never mentioned that to me. I have a feeling it's because he was embarrassed. He didn't want me to lose faith in the church working right into so-called Christians who hate their brother. Friend, if that broke my heart, imagine what it did to the heart of God. What, what about yours? So I've made a decision to ramp up this value and cause in my life and the life of this church going forward. Using my influence, my affluence, my position, let's create a place this side of heaven where the grandsons of former slaves the grandsons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood where people are not judged in the church or out by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. It reminds me of the pivotal scene in the movie, Remember the Titans. It's the one most of you remember where Coach Boone is laying out the vision for his team and he's brutally honest about them all coming together. He took them on an early morning jog and they wound up in a graveyard where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. He said 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we are still fighting among ourselves today. Listen to their souls, men. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed. Friend, we really will. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to you today thanking you in Jesus' name for this message. Have no idea who's hearing it, who's listening to it, what difference it might make in our city. But may we decide that we will be people of reconciliation, racial reconciliation, but more importantly, spiritual reconciliation. May we be broken by the things that break your heart. And may we be people who make down here look like up there. That's our prayer, God. And so thank you for the time just to talk about 
some difficult but necessary truths today that affect all of us by which our world could be changed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. Jerrica Humphreys is up next week and she's gonna lead us in our next movie, which is Toy Story. Man, I can't wait for that. See you next time.